This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Coast to Coast podcast here on Inside Carolina. InsideCarolina.com, the Inside Carolina network of podcasts. I'm your host, Joey Powell. Uh, it's the last one of 2020. Thank God we're putting this year to bed. With me, as always, the guys that bring the knowledge, the guys that have all the info that you guys are here listening and watching for. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Boys, how was your holiday, Sherelle? Uh, it was good. Uh, Could have been better, but no complaints. Happy to be healthy and with family. All right. Sean, how was yours? I was good. It was a nice uh, Southern California day, so got to enjoy that out here. Yeah, it was uh, It was colder than a witch's left you-know-what here in North Carolina, and we've since moved on. I think today it actually got close to 50, so it was rather nice. But we appreciate everybody listening to the show. Uh, thanks for being here. Appreciate you keeping us in your regular rotation. If you have not, if you have not subscribed, please do so. Uh, if you have subscribed, please take a second, give us a rating or a review. Let us know what you think about the content, this show, everything that we're putting out for you. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent, we want to hear from you. Uh, and if you are not an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, uh, well, you missed out on the first news that we're going to discuss, and that is that North Carolina offered, as previewed on the show like three weeks ago, um, Mr. Dillingham of the 2023 class, uh, boys, I, it's, I told Sherelle before we started, it's hard for me to understand. Um, it's hard for me to get my hands or, or my arms around an offer to a sophomore right now. And it, it's happened a couple of times in, in UNC history, but not a ton. Uh, Sherelle, anything else you want to share about Robert Dillingham or the offer or how that all went down? Uh, not yet. We haven't had a chance to connect with him and try and <clears throat> the last couple of days, obviously want to be respectful of everyone on the holidays and not be calling people on Christmas and Christmas Eve and everything. <laughs> um, but I, I do think, I do think the uh, offer timing was very strategic by Roy Williams. Um, I think, you know, Dillingham has made it clear that he's a Carolina fan. And so it's kind of cool. I think if that's your lifelong dream to play for UNC, to get the offer from the head coach on Christmas Eve, uh, mm -hmm. just kind of cool. Also the first uh, offer in the 2023 class. So um, I think all that probably, uh, you know, made it, made a good impact on him. Let's put it that way. Not that he needed to be convinced anymore, but uh, yeah, that to me, that's the main thing is, is kind of when he got the offer and, I do think it's fair uh, to ask the question if he's going to commit soon. We don't know for sure, um, but he's made it clear that UNC is his number one choice as of right now. And the AAU team he plays for is coached by? Uh, Touche, Jeff McGinnis. Number five of the famed, I was a 94 class? Uh, 93, yeah, 94, yeah, 94. 
93. Test, testing my old age and my yeah, memory. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Jeff McKinnis <laughs> is his coach, so there are some strong ties to the UNC program there. Sean, again, I don't want to have to force you to rehash all the, the good info you dropped about his game a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, but is there anything else you feel like the listeners or viewers need to know about, about Robert Dillingham and what he might bring to uh, a North Carolina roster? Should he commit and then arrive on campus many, many moons from now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, to look out, you know, look so far down down the road, but obviously something you have to do, especially when you have some talented in-state prospects. Um, you know, not, I know in the 2020 class, UNC has some of the top guys, but right now they're ranked, you know, sub 50. Um, and now you have a guy ranked number 10. So, you know, we talked about it two, three weeks ago, as you mentioned. Uh, so I'm glad the offer did come. Uh, I haven't really gotten to watch any of his games uh, really in depth since we talked on it. And that was coming off a weekend tournament, but I've been able to see some highlights. And once again, I think, you know, the key thing for him is he knows how to put the ball in the ball in the basket. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much more does he grow both, both height wise as well as strength wise. Cause he's, he's, he, he does look pretty small on the court, but at the same time as a sophomore, he can pull up, you know, from the NBA, definitely from the college three-point line, and it's very comfortable. And as I said, just really knows how to put the ball in the basket. And what we'll get into shortly, uh, it's been a struggle at times for the team <laughs> last year and, and this year. Um, so a guy that can that can shoot, but can do a lot more than shoot. He can create for others. He can create for himself. He can create his own shot. So I think he's definitely going to be a fun one to track. And I'm sure uh, the recruitment will definitely heat up as the time goes on. So UNC's in there early for you know the blue bloods but he does have a lot of other power five offers and i'm sure we'll continue to receive a lot more down the road and i'd add that uh i think part of the offer was getability uh for lack of a better phrase in that is that a real word because uh, we're gonna yeah, make that a word now yeah let's let's make it a real word uh you know if he was a local player in 2023 who maybe hadn't said the things that he said publicly about north carolina and that he hadn't seen against the jv team earlier in the year i don't know um, that the offer would have come, but because he said those things, I think that definitely was a factor in that, well, maybe they can go ahead and lock this guy up. And it's always a crapshoot, like Sean said, when you're projecting someone, you know, he would, if he commits to Carolina, he would arrive on campus in two and a half years. So that's June of 2023 is when he would get on campus. Uh, so when you're projecting that far ahead, you're, you're, you're guessing a little bit, you're taking a slight gamble, but I think they feel comfortable enough in the fact that he, um, you know, has made it clear that Carolina is his number one team. I, I think definitely uh, made it easier for UNC to offer. And we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about how this is a different time for basketball recruiting and specifically how evaluation is going, how offers are being doled out, uh, and then how the commitment process is being affected. But Sherelle, do you want to give uh, in one or two sentences some context about how sophomore offers slash commits have have typically looked in the Roy Williams era? Yeah, I mean, there are a few guys. So Dayron Sharp was one. He was offered kind of um, right at the end of his sophomore season, so the summer before his junior season, and committed, you know, shortly thereafter. After. Um, and then you have guys like Harry Giles and Jason Tatum, uh, Wendell Moore, all who went to a, a different school down the road, who were all offered by UNC um, uh, during as freshmen. Um, and then you have Leaky Black, who was offered as a sophomore and committed to UNC. Uh, going way back in the day, Kendall Marshall was another one who was offered as a sophomore and committed shortly thereafter. So there seems to be a decent pattern, you know, probably about 50% of the sophomores that they uh, offer commit pretty soon, um, relatively after that offer, within usually a month or two. 
Um, so whether or not that's the case with Dillingham, we'll see. All right. Well, Robert Dillingham, again, class of 23. It's hard for most folks. Again, I admitted it earlier, but I'm sure it's hard for our, our listeners and viewers to kind of uh, really take in what a sophomore in high school right now could, could do as far as affecting the current program. But it is something that you might want to keep your eye on in the future. Speaking about the current program, and Sean, you teased it a second ago, we'll quickly rehash the, the NC State game. And I don't really want to dive too much into the uh, minutia of the game, specific plays or, or stats or even in the box score. But another Tar Heel loss, 79-76. And I think the thing to look at here are trends and things that have uh, become regular occurrences. We've talked about them before on the show, but a couple of things that jump out at me. Uh, the slow starts, which I think is the big one, uh, struggling with perimeter shooting. And then this time, I think the Tar Heels struggled on defense, especially in the first half. There was just not a lot that they were doing right to stop the dribble drive. Sean, how do you feel that any of those things can be corrected? Or at what point are they just part of the team's DNA now? Well, I certainly hope they're not you know, fully part of the DNA, especially as we really kick into the ACC season. But obviously starting 0-1 is not how – anybody wanted to start. Um, I guess talking about, you know, the last thing you mentioned in terms of the defense and I know UNC has had a strong defensive rating, but I think what we saw against NC state was why I've always been a little hesitant to, you know, really depend on the defense, you know, and for me, my belief is always a big, a good offense beats a good defense. So I'd much rather have, uh, you know, UNC scoring at a, at a high level. Now, obviously if that's not the case, need to be sound defensively and I think what we saw in the first half the pick and roll defense was what well, was really atrocious um, and they you know f- fixed that up in the second half in terms of changing up some things but you can't start out an ACC game with I'd say the lack of focus that they did have and you've seen you've seen that in you know really over the last 10 years um, you've seen how they've guarded the pick and roll really that come up time and time again uh, especially earlier in the season where Sometimes it almost feels like UNC is actually setting a screen on their own, on their own player. And I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of a, of a particular, uh, sorry, particular possession where they put Kessler in the pick and roll and all of a sudden, you know, he didn't really step out or hedge at all. So the, uh, the point guard has kind of a clear drive to do whatever he wants. And all of a sudden Kessler's running into the, uh, the guard who's trying to get back. And you really need to at least slow them down, uh, which we weren't doing. At the same time, uh, NC State was uh, – Daniels specifically was getting the basket anytime he wanted. So, you know, kind of even though they put a run on at the end of the first half to, to have that deficit um, and to try to come back from that, which they almost did several times. I just couldn't get over the hump. But I think really we know what they are offensively and we somewhat know what they are defensively. And really it's just going to come down to can they value the basketball in, term, in terms of turnovers. But – can they have, you know, focus on every, not every single possession, but can they play with a much more intensity and, and, and focus on the possessions that they do have? Cause I think if they are able to focus on getting the ball down low, getting into their spots, we're still seeing offensively uh, guys don't really know where they're supposed to be at times and guys kind of duplicating efforts. So I think if we're able to smooth some of those just correctable issues out not going to turn into a championship team, but it can hopefully kind of right the ship as ACC play begins. Sherelle, one of the things that you've been really good about uh, analyzing and pointing out 
on these prior shows that we've done is the slow starts. And I think there are a couple of things that play into it. I don't think it's just offensively. I think that when you're not engaged defensively, you're, you're giving yourself an opportunity to fall behind early when you're not hitting shots. That's an obvious, you know, buy-in, but it seems like regardless of who's on the floor, UNC still struggling to get out of the gate in that first quarter of the game. To what do you attribute that? And, and I've asked you before, do you think it's fixable? But what types of things is it going to take to fix this? Yeah, I think it's fixable. And I think it just comes down to each individual player being ready. Throughout the offseason, when all this was happening, we talked about bring your own energy and you've got to be your own motivator and self-confidence is within you. It's called self-confidence, that kind of thing. And I just wonder if for some of the freshmen, um, you know, we thought it may be a good thing. And I wonder now if the lack of environment, the lack of excitement and the, the lack of energy is a bad thing for them um, because it's very different, not only playing, you know, new players and uh, guys who are more athletic and, and better than what you saw in high school, but now you're doing it in a high school setting. Uh, so I wonder if it's just some kind of weird mojo thing they have going on with, with the freshman guards and um, if it's just still trying to get used to that for everybody. I, I, I don't really have an answer. I don't think anybody does. Um, but I think, you know, people are talking about a starting lineup change. And to me, and I've said this to Sean, and I've said this to Joey offline, to me, the issue uh, isn't, you know, the slow starts might be a little less slow. Maybe instead of getting down 19 to eight every game, they get down 10 to seven if you make a starting lineup change. But the root issue with the team is that the freshman guards have to play better and they have to grow up. And unfortunately for them, um, there's not an opportunity to do it. Uh, like we've talked about ad nauseum uh, against teams, maybe who aren't as talented in exhibitions, scrimmages and all that. We're seeing them, their trial by fire live on national television every night. And it's been eight games and there's been ups and downs, but um, you know, un until they continue to improve or unless they continue to improve, then I don't know that uh, the, the root issue is going to be solved because that's what it is, is that you're relying on, on two guys, two freshmen uh, to come in and run your team. And it just takes time to be able to do that. I'm going to ask both of you guys this question. Uh, I have heard Roy Williams talk about this team more uh, with regard to his confidence in their perimeter shooting ability. He has been almost dogged in, you know, professing how good that they shoot in practice. Uh, do we think that this is eventually going to fix itself? I mean, you always hear water has to find its level, yada, yada. And we mentioned the last time on the show that just, and actually it's been on a couple of other podcasts. I think the post game Dewey and Brooker may have said it too, but at some point these guys have to start hitting perimeter shots. I'll be honest. I really wanted Caleb love to, to get that one, you know, that last look he had not to tie the game, but for his own confidence. And I think that that type of stuff has to happen, but Sherelle, I'll ask you first, is the shooting going to come along? Do you feel like it is, or is it going to take, you know, creating offense from somewhere else? Um, it's in UNC's best interest if it comes along, whether it is, you know, I, I would have said yes two weeks ago, but now, you know, again, it depends on how you look at it. They're either 27% done with the season or there's, you know, 73% of the season left. You know, I think how you view that tells a lot about how you think the team's going to do. Um, you know, Caleb, I think is four for 34 from three. I, I don't think it's possible for him to shoot any worse than that and I think there's a confidence thing and it's a thing where he's rushing and he's just not said and they're probably he's not the, you know he's not a he's not a 40 percent 
uh, three-point shoot or anything like that in college. But if you go back and you remember Roy Williams, uh, excuse me, Marcus Page's freshman year, Roy from the beginning of preseason camp uh, always said Marcus Page can shoot. Marcus Page can shoot. And what did he do? Probably the first 16 or 17 games. I feel like he missed everything. Um, but he, he kept was struggling. Shooting. He, yeah, he, he was he was struggling. He kept shooting. He was expecting to be a backup. And then sometime, I think it might have been the NC State game. The light bulb came on, and he started shooting better and he started playing better. So the hope is that you know it's just freshman struggles, and that eventually, as the spacing issues get worked out, as they get more comfortable, they'll start to hit shots. But I don't think I can guarantee um, that they'll the shooting will improve because if you would have said, hey. Are they going to shoot worse from three this year than last year? I would say absolutely not. No way. Not a chance. But, <laughs> not a chance. But we've seen, you know, we have a pretty, we have, a, it's a small sample size, but it's a sample size that this is just not a good shooting team, which we, I don't think we expected it to be, but we didn't expect to be, expect it to be this bad. Sean, you've seen a lot of these guys on film and in person. A scale of one to 10, what's your confidence level on if the perimeter shooting is going to improve this season? <laughs> um, in terms of one to 10, I mean, a, a five on it improving just because I don't think it, it can really get worse in terms of we've talked about it time and time again, what is their ceiling? And really their ceiling is six, three pointers against six made three pointers a game. If we're really being optimistic, I mean, they had two against NC state with that you're dependent on uh, Kerwin Walton coming in for uh, one to two and which he can definitely do. But I think we saw with NC state, they said, Hey, we know this guy can shoot. Let's see what else he can do. And they just got, got up in him and kind of made it a lot more difficult for him to get open shots. Um, you know, RJ Davis, I think he he's proven he can shoot whether high school or, or AAU um, and AAU shot over 40% from three. Do I think he can get up to 40%? No, but I think he can continue to be a guy that can at least knock them down. Uh, Kato Love, once again, I don't think there, there are high expectations. The four for 34 is, is something even I, I didn't see that coming. Um, you would love to have him play another, you know, kind of warm up game where you can just fire off five or six in a row. But unlike Marcus Page, when, when Page would shoot, you know, you at least felt it was going in or it, it looked like it was going in. He was either maybe short or long, had a nice stroke. With Caleb, it's just all over the place, short, long, left, right. Yeah. Um, so I think. With him, you know, once again, the, sh the form doesn't look horrible by any means, but yeah, he is rushing it. But even when he does have wide open looks or good looks, you know, it's not like it's in and out or, or short or anything like that. So I'm a little more pessimistic on him. And then, you know, finally, we, we did talk about lineup changes. And, you know, I, I do think Playtech needs more time in the lineup. He's proven to play well in the minutes that he's been given. And he does at least provide kind of a calming sense on the floor in terms of sure it drives you crazy when he's fouling um, guys shooting a three or, or jump shooters which he did against NC State but I think offensively he can provide a little more calming influence to the two freshmen um, at the same time offer that floor spacing which is drastically needed to start these games you know I think NC State um, you know it was obviously Leakey played a part in terms of a lot of time his defender would almost play safety um, within the paint on the two bigs, but yeah, there's also, um, you also saw Beverly doing it a lot when Davis or Love would go through the paint and he would just stay there. And it wasn't because he didn't respect Davis as a shooter, but it was almost saying, I don't think the big man can uh, facilitate a good assist with 
uh, Davis or Love being ready to shoot. So I think once again, that goes more to just being in a good spot at a, at a right time. So there are things to improve on, but they're, they're not going to be a good shooting team. Um, but once again, if they can hit five to six a game, that's, that's still a market improvement. It opens the floor up a little bit more for the big men. Because, Joey, the thing is, you know, <clears throat> they're minus 23, minus 20, minus 29 uh, from three every game. And so you have to bake that in. So they're already playing from behind in that regard. And then if you're going to turn the ball over, you know, 12, 13, 15 times a game, you know, that's that's shots that you don't get up. So then you have, you know, getting to the free throw line. So then if you miss 10, 12 free throws a game, once you add all that up, like we've said a couple of times, they're just losing to math. It's just simple. <laughs> Empty possessions you, will kill you. Right. You you have to make up. They have to have more shots than their opponents because they're taking shots that are less valuable more often than their opponent. So it's it's pretty simple. Um, if you can limit the turnovers, um, hit just, you know, like Sean said, just hit enough threes just to keep five guys out of the paint. Um, then things can start to open up and, and you know, the, the offense can get more free flowing. I know we, we don't want to go too much into the state game, but after they got down 13 uh, in the second half and it seemed like it was over and then they got it back down to two. I mean, that stretch, I don't know what came over them, but they need to find a way to bottle that. I don't know if it was the defensive intensity, um, but it looked like Carolina basketball for the first time in a long time. Um, as far as getting up and down the court, pressure defense, trapping, um, hitting shots, making your free throws, everything went right during that stretch. And then it, I guess they got worn out. So, um, you know, I, I think for this team, going back to what Sean said earlier, I think everything starts with the defense, because if you can, you know, if you can limit uh, the opponents uh, as, as far as offensive rebounding, which State had a ton of, um, and have more shots than the opponents, then you can make up for some of those deficits with, uh, from the three-point line and turnovers and missed free throws. Well, here's a question for Sherelle. Do you feel like, because I, I do feel like when they, they start trapping, um, sure, it does lead to some easy baskets or some offensive rebounds, but I feel like it, it gets their energy up a little bit. Um, and usually it happens when we're down or, you know, some, do you feel like they should kind of go to that maybe a little bit earlier if they're going to, I mean, you know, I think I'm stealing off my sheet, Sean, You're stealing <laughs> off my run sheet. <laughs> well, I, I wonder because it was uh, the season opener when they came out and they were pressing some and everybody yeah. was kind of like, what? What is what this? Is, right. Yeah. What is this? Why, why are they doing that? So maybe it's something that they knew that um, where there was energy or that they needed to manufacture some points um, that they, you know, would go to that. Now, I think the issue is, is that the more players you play and the more you try to complicate things defensively, that's when you start, I think, having some lapses. So maybe it's just a situation where because they're playing six freshmen, um, they can only do it with certain lineups and, you know, with certain personnel, because if not, you know, if if you're not 100 percent committed to what you're doing in, in those traps and some of the presses, it's going to lead to layups and dunks almost every time. So I, maybe that's part of it, um, just to use it situational situationally. I love that you asked that, Sean, and I actually um, I do think there's something to be said for the engagement factor. You know, we've talked about slow starts. We've talked about how the team can kind of look like they're sleepwalking a little bit. But when you do engage uh, specifically with uh, with Roy and, and the UNC plan of a run and jump or scramble or whatever you want to call it, um, it does force the players to be a little more engaged on both ends of the floor. It's kind of the opposite effect of, of when you play a zone, guys get kind of passive on both sides. But I think one of the things that, that UNC is going to struggle with is, yeah, you to your point, you can get 
some more activity out of playing the run and jump or playing a little bit of, uh, you know, trap the first pass. But the problem is, like Sherelle said, it's such a gamble. And when you don't have guys that are uh, confident doing or when you don't have guys that are comfortable with who else is on the floor with them, you're going to see what you saw in the first half against NC State where sometimes the trap works really good. And then the other times it's a guaranteed bucket on the other end. But I, I like where your head is. I, I think that's something that that I noticed, and I'm glad you mentioned it. One last thing about the NC State game, and, and again, I don't want to belabor this game, but we saw a really poor shooting outing from Garrison Brooks. And I, I don't know that he's forcing things. I'm certainly not going to speculate if he's if he's fighting off something or, or what's going on. Uh, guys, do you feel like like Garrison's just struggling with having somebody else on the team that's that's a go-to producer as, as opposed to the way he was fitting into that role last year? Sean, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, last year was an ideal individual situation for him where the ball had to go through him and every, the team was extremely dependent on him. So he knew he was going to be getting 10 plus shots a game and the team was going to be looking for him. I mean, you know, but then you could look at NC state, he took 14 shots. So he's still getting volume. I, I mean, I think part of it is some of the shots he is taking where I feel like each game, there's a few times where he leans that left shoulder into the defender, almost trying to draw a foul, but instead of drawing the foul, uh, kind of takes a difficult shot. Um, so I think, you know, for, for him, and you kind of saw it on social media over the summer and the fall, but what, what, what was he working on? His, his kind of outside game, and he did see that last year. And I think if he is able to knock down that 15 to 17 foot jumper, um, I think one that will clear space up for Armando yeah. down low, because let's be honest, even though Armando hit, you know, one 12 footer, uh, he's not going to be hitting many, many of those in the ACC play. So he's not going to be the one doing it. Um, and that could, you know, once again, give, give Brooks a little more freedom and space if he's able to kind of focus on that mid range area a little bit more. And then I think part of it is also some of the spacing where he gets it and he, he either tries to make a move too quick or there's two, three defenders on him. Um, I did notice, and it, it came as a, it was a missed shot. Um, I think Puffs missed three from in the first half, but uh, Brooks caught the ball from the right block and he saw the double team coming and he just kind of threw a bullet point pass to Puff um, that I, you know, was pretty impressive and hopefully something that can at least kind of continue on of him identifying the double team coming and finding the shooter quickly and putting them in a good position. Because I think once again, that led to, I'm trying to, I guess I'm getting a little bit away from Brooks, but that led to NC State being able to play the safety in the post because um, the outside shooters weren't getting in good spots. So for, you know, going back to Brooks, I do think, um, you know, he, he has a lot of room to, to improve. I think he's forcing things. It's not as easy for him last year with, once again, there's a ton of big man options, but I do think he's able to find his little niche if he's able to, um, you know, 12, 15, 17 feet hit that jump shot. Sherelle, any thoughts about whether Garrison's forcing things or is it just a spacing issue or anything maybe that Sean brought up you'd kind of like to tag on to? I would say, too, I think we need to realize that while, you know, the, it's new for the freshman guards, it's new for Brooks as well. Um, you know, he played with Joel Berry his first two years and then, or excuse me, played with Joel Berry. Uh, then he played with Kobe White and then he played with Cole Anthony. And now he's playing with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. So he hasn't had continuity in the backcourt at all. 
um, during most of his Carolina career. So I think that plays into it because it takes time to, to, you know, develop a, a relationship with, with your, with your point guard um, about where you like the ball, the angles, how to get it in the post, um, you know, kind of how to, how you screen, um, just all that stuff takes time and it takes games and takes practice. And, you know, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of practices, people think that, you know, the, the Ty Lawson, Tyler Hansborough connection was all about talent. You know, sh- surely it was, they were both talented. Um, but a lot of that comes from just those guys playing together for so long, you kind of innately know where, where, you know, each other is going to be. And Brooks hasn't had that. So I think that's part of an issue. I do think uh, part of the issue is like Sean said, you know, he was very used to, to getting his 13 to 15 shots every game because, frankly, you know, North Carolina didn't have many other people uh, who could score last season. And so um, it's something we talked about in the offseason was that his numbers were going to regress some just because it was going to be a more talented roster. What I didn't think would happen is that I, I do think his level of engagement in time has waned um, yeah. because – uh, you know, he's probably frustrated because he's the ACC preseason player of the year. He's the senior, he's the captain. And there go there are times where you kind of, I don't want to say forget he's on the court, but there are times where, you know, he's just not prominent. And that can be difficult, especially when you're coming off of a, a season like last year for him. Um, so I think it's a, a lot of stuff, probably as much mental and, and fighting through some things as it is physical and, and learning how to play with new teammates through eight games. I'm glad you pointed that out. He strikes me, and I don't know this, but he strikes me as somebody that's incredibly cerebral. And I could see where, you know, after a few games of this, especially when, uh, you know, three games have not gone the Tar Heels way, where he would, in a sense, get in his own head about that. But that's that and the, the point about, you know, post position and where he's receiving passes is a great point. Uh, while we're on the subject of great points, I'm going to give our listeners and our viewers a great point. Go to johnnytshirt.com. Johnny T-Shirt is a sponsor of Inside Carolina's content of this podcast, of all the Inside Carolina podcasts, even of the Inside Carolina live radio show on WCHL uh, 97.9. That's a huge, huge win for Inside Carolina subscribers to have somebody like Johnny T-Shirt in in our corner. What I'd like to tell you right now is is I'm going to give you a, a huge dose of truthiness. We all have gift givers in our lives that are terrible gift givers. All right, Sherelle, Sean, I, just yes or no, you both got a gift over the holidays that you didn't want, correct? Affirmative. Correct. Okay. So what you can do to remedy that is take that crap back, go to johnnytshirt.com, get something that you actually want, whether it's uh, Nike gear or Jumpman stuff or any sort of hat, sweatshirt, item for your office, your man cave, whatever you want. Johnny T-shirt has it. They got amazing prices. They've always got sales going on. And if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, take an extra 10 off the top of that. You're winning all the way around and you're getting rid of a bad gift. Please take care of Johnny T-shirt. They take care of us. Big fans of theirs. We want you to support them the way they've been supporting Inside Carolina for years. JohnnyT-shirt.com, right on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Hit them up. While you're thinking about that and you're going to johnnytshirt.com, we're going to take a quick break, let the national guys drop in here and, and run some ads, and we'll be back in just one second. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. All right, thanks for sticking around. We've talked about the NC State game quite a bit. Next on the tilt for the Tar Heels is a game against Georgia Tech, uh, and that's going to be Wednesday night, January the 30th, or January 30th. Wow, I'm, I'm already trying to chew up 2021. December the 30th at 8 p.m. Uh, Georgia Tech had two pretty rough losses early in the year. Uh, Sean Sherrill, I don't like to use must-win scenarios, but the Tar Heels need to get right. Uh, is this a game they can get right in? Sherrill, I'll go to you first. Uh, I think w- what we need to realize uh, is that I-, I don't see any blowouts either way, really, in North Carolina's future. I think every game is going to be played within, you know, five or ten points just because the talent in the league seems to me to be dispersed pretty evenly for the most part. Um, and we also know that North Carolina's history in Atlanta is not great. Dude, dude. Um, uh, you know, the national championship team went down there and lost to a really bad Georgia Tech team. Um, so anything can happen when you go to Atlanta and especially when uh, a team has veteran guards. And I, I know that's cliche. People are tired of hearing about veteran guards. Uh, but, you know, Alvarado is a veteran guard and he has uh, torched UNC in the past multiple times. And then this season, uh, they also have Moses Wright, who is a very good center. Um, so, so I don't think it's a quote get right game at all. I think it's one that they're going to have to play really well in to win, despite the fact, um, that Georgia tech really doesn't have any great wins. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's just going to take, hopefully those guys went home and kind of reset over break and, uh, we'll come back fresh. But I, I don't think by any means, this is a game that North Carolina fans or anyone uh, should take for granted. I think it's going to be a close game that comes down to, you know, the final minutes. I remember when Alvarado and Stephon Marbury teamed up and they were really good backcourt. So I think he's going to have to really be on their P's and Q's for that. Sean, how do you see this game shaping up? Have you had a chance to watch any Georgia Tech ball yet this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched some of the, the first game, which they lost in the, I think the triple overtime, watched Georgia the Kentucky State, yep. game um, as well. And, I, you know, to be honest, I thought this Georgia Tech team was going to be better, better than what they've, what they've shown just given who they had coming back. Um, you know, I know they lost uh, James Banks from last year who uh, gave UNC uh, some trouble in that loss in the Dean Dome, but with them returning Moses Wright, um, Alvarado and Michael DeVoe, um, I definitely thought that they would be a pretty talented offensive team. Um, I'm hoping they don't kind of uh, suddenly, you know, find, find all that talent come, come this week, but uh, they, they do have some, you know, once again, some shooters, some, some scores and a big. So I think it's going to be, you know, if UNC can get a win, once again, I mean, you know, I think any of these games outside of maybe a few teams, 
especially on the road, are going to be any win's a good win. Um, you know, to go 0-2 in the ACC is, is not going to be a good start. Um, obviously, you know, you have Texas, Iowa as, as losses, and, you know, those are kind of top 10, 15 teams. So those aren't bad losses, but you need to build build some wins. And I think it's going to be a tough one. And if you, UNC can control their guards um, and if they can, once again, limit their turnovers and just kind of have a little more focus, I think they – should win, but once again, we we're saying that last week with NC State, and that went out the window from the opening tap. And you know, I think all the players came back to Chapel Hill. I think it was Saturday um, from their from the break. Most left Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, so they had Christmas at home. And I wonder if over the practices there might be some changes or or um, some guys have earned some more minutes uh, during those practices for game time on Tuesday because it is a good chance to kind of reinstall things you know cliche but in football whenever you have a bye week they're like oh we're going back to fundamentals and we're taking them back to training camp you're gonna tackle Uh, a thousand times today right (laughs) right right so i wonder if the during the two or three practices that they will have had during that time if you know roy and his staff maybe tried some different combinations if they've thought about tweaking the starting lineup you know those are all things that i'm curious to see when when tuesday comes and it'll oh, excuse well, me Wednesday. Okay, Sorry, I was going to say I, I thought so. Funny, I actually <laughs> Sorry about originally, that. <laughs> I originally thought it was Tuesday, and then when I was prepping for the show, I found out that it was Wednesday night. So Wednesday, uh, December the thirtieth. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be proven yet, and, and I'm glad you guys mentioned the house of horrors that uh, Atlanta has been for the Tar Heels. Um, who knows? Maybe a game on the road could could do this team some good. Uh, get them conference game, get them fired up because they don't have a ton of games with the a Syracuse game being uh, canceled or postponed. Their next five, and I want to throw this out to you guys, the next five are Georgia Tech at Miami, Clemson at a ranked Florida State team, and then against Wake Forest. Eventually, they'll play NC State again in the Smith Center on the 23rd of January. But guys, why is this five-game stretch any different or any better than last year's uh, five games right after the new year? Uh, Sherelle, I'll go to you first. Oh, well, your best player isn't injured. I think it's the biggest thing, you know, last year, Cole Anthony was out and it, you know, there wasn't, I think we thought maybe they could get through a few games without him and win, but I think, um, I think after We're that, wrong. Game, yeah, <laughs> I think after the Wofford game, we kind of realized, yeah, this, this team that for me last year, that's when it really hit me that that team was, was talent deficient. And I don't get that impression with this year's team. I just think the parts aren't necessarily meshing right now. Um, and that's the issue. But overall, I, I think it'll be different just because, you know, like we talked about last, last episode, they have something every game that they can go to that they know they are 100 percent better than the opponent, which is offensive rebounding and points in the paint. And that kind of stuff, to use a football analogy, it travels. You know, it's not it's not um, going to change because of weather or, you know, what stadium you're in or who you're going against. You know, they most of the time they're going to out rebound their opponents. Most of the time they're going to shoot more free throws than their opponents. And most of the time they're going to have more shots than their opponents just because of the way they play. Um, but it goes back to turnovers and, and freshman guards. So my long winded answer to that is that it is different just because it is a ta- more talented team. And I think there are still players on that team from last year who, um, just won't let it happen. And that may be pie in the sky or rah-rah, but I, I think that, you know, personal pride and those kind of things do come into play when you're talking about, you know, the second worst season really in North Carolina history last year. And I think they'll just do whatever it takes to prevent that from happening again. 
Sean Moran, aside from Cole Anthony or the best player being injured, tell me why these next five games will be different than last year's turn of the year. Well, you know, I think as, as fans last year, we looked at that five game stretch and we said, oh, you know, for, for, you know, I think there's a very high opinion of what UNC could do. I think, you know, now it, there shouldn't really be any look ahead games on here. Um, just given one, how last year went to um, how we've been doing this year um, in terms of why it could be different. You know, if you go on a game by game basis, Georgia Tech will be tough, but defense is not their strong suit. So that could um, allow the freshman guards to build up a little more confidence and maybe get some easier shots than what they have lately. Uh, then you go to Miami, once again, on the road. I mean, they, they've been just decimated with injuries and other things, but they did get their star freshman Timberlake back. Uh, with UNC's luck, they'll probably get Chris Lakes back. I'm not sure when, <laughs> when he's coming back. But, um, you know, if he's not playing, that's a, a team that's re really not at full strength. Um, you know, then you go – once again, with, with Clemson at home, it was a, they have some talented players in Florida State on the road, which will definitely be tough. But when you're looking at those three games, those are all winnable games through Clemson. And I think hopefully the first two games can allow them to work on some of the things that have been plaguing them uh, recently. And I've said maybe on this show, but I know I've said it in, in regular discussion with some other folks. I'm not sure that outside of Gonzaga, anybody in college basketball is any good this year. I know that sounds like I'm probably just painting with a really, really the broadest of brushes, but I've watched a lot of ball and I really think that this pandemic is causing a lot of folks to struggle. And the teams that have the older guards are usually good. I think that's even uh, exponentially more true this year because they've just got some veteran leadership to fall back on. But I've seen a lot of teams that are supposed to be really good, especially teams that are ranked in the top 25 right now that are very meh. And I'm hoping that at some point this things will click with the Tar Heels. It's just been Boy, it's just been a lot of bad basketball, man. It has. It really has. And, I, and you, know, you mentioned the the bubble with the NBA earlier this year. It may, I originally thought that maybe that's what I was comparing it to. No, it's been bad basketball all the way yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Like I before we came in here, I was I was watching uh, uh, Providence and DePaul um, double overtime game, and in, in Providence only won by five uh, in double overtime. But you know, just the free throw shooting is bad. There's not a ton of shot making. The offense is behind uh, out, outside of a couple of teams. Now, I did watch Iowa, Minnesota over the weekend. <laughs> Minnesota, you know, Minnesota looked like they had five Steph Curry's on the court the entire yes. game. Uh, Especially in that overtime period. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I just I think it I think it all does go back to the to um, missing time and, and the lack of exhibitions. But we also know that college basketball just isn't what it was for a variety of reasons. Um, guys come in more raw than they did before, and they don't stay as long to get better in college basketball because for a lot of people, why stay when you can get paid elsewhere? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a consideration. But I, I don't know. For me, I'm really starting to see it more than I have in the past few years. And um, it's it's disheartening a little bit, uh, but, you know, it's still fun. Um, oh, it's still fun. It's absolutely yeah. fun. Sean, <laughs> do, you, do you still feel like the, the – like? Or do you, do you agree or disagree with the, the thought that kind of everybody is kind of meh or, or maybe even everybody's garbage? Um, well, I mean, besides Gonzaga, who, I mean, that was a treat to watch them against EVA. Just, That's a clinic, just, man. I mean, They're so good. Almost put up 100, 100 points. And, you know, Gonzaga and Baylor are easily the, the class of college basketball right now. Um, but Gonzaga, I know there's been a lot of kind of message board chatter on their offense and 
this year they're obviously playing a, a four out one in system, but traditionally they ha usually have two bigs, but I mean, it goes to show how just one elite shooter can just change the whole dynamic, you know, for Corey Kispert, obviously he's not going to hit eight, nine threes every game, but he's a pure jump shooter. You take him out, you have Jalen Suggs, who's been shooting the ball. Well, I think that'll drop off, but other than those two, their other guards are shooting um, well below 30% from three, but you know, they, they can also make shots when they're attacking. Um, so I think once again, with elite, with an, just one elite shoot, one elite shooter, um, that just changes uh, so much for everybody. And once again, that gets back to UNC hitting two, three threes a game and just trying to improve that just a little bit. Yeah, and one of the things I've noticed about Gonzaga, they share the ball really well, and I guess that's a sign of a of a team that's that's got some vets on it. But they do share the ball really well, and I'm sure that you know, knowing your uh, your undying white hot hatred for all things Virginia, <laughs> that you had no problems with, uh, no problems watching the Cavaliers just get absolutely curb stomped uh, the other day. Sherelle, what you got? Uh, so, so I was going to ask you, like. So you're talking about how important, you know, just at least having one shooter is, would you go as far as like to designate each class? Like I'm going to go out, if you were a head coach, I'm going to go out and I don't care how tall he is, how slow he is. I'm going to find someone who is an absolute dynamite shooter and I'm going to recruit that guy hard and I'm going to get one every single class. Is, is Would you go about it that way? How, like, how would you approach it if you were a coach? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And I don't know if, and once again, did anybody see Corey Kispert doing this when, when they were recruiting them, I highly doubt no. they did. But one, if you can, you know, and I think UNC kind of hopefully did that with this past class of, you know, the, the guys that they are getting at the end with Walton and Puff Johnson were known as shooters. Um, I do think in terms of when looking at wings, and we've kind of talked about this a lot, we just need to find players that know how to score and put the ball in the basket. And that's kind of what we started this podcast with for Dillingham. He knows, he knows how to shoot. He knows how to put the ball in the basket. And that's why I'm a little worried about styles, to be honest. I think he's definitely improved and athletic, but when you have these guys that are sub 30% shooters, that really puts a lot of pressure on everybody else. So not necessarily, you know, a, a designated shooter in each class, but I think, you know, you, you really need that one through three position and even, you know, having Luke May at the four, uh, was a luxury of, of a lot of times having that stretch four. Um, so I really think that one through three, and, you know, if you're going the power forward route, that they do have the ability to shoot um, and not and that they're not viewed as non-shooters. Well, Sean, we definitely view you as a shooter and not a non-anything on this podcast. Boys, anything that you want to throw out before we put a bow on this one and, and send it off to our man, John Sigley, for production? I've got one more question for Sherelle. Um <laughs> Cause he was a guy we, we didn't really touch on and for you as well, Joey, uh, but we didn't touch on him of uh, Walker Kessler. And I thought he played, you know, definitely very well without putting the ball in the basket um, very well defensively throughout his, his minutes. Do you think, um, you know, we can continue to see that from him and do you think he's starting to get a little more comfortable getting on the court? Cause I know he missed time in the preseason. And I think that was just devastating for him from a conditioning and just knowing you know, where to be on the court. Yeah. I think the, he had what, two floor burns in a couple of minutes. I think that tells you all you need to know about how much he wants to play. Um, 
there was a time, you know, he kind of, I don't want to say saved North Carolina, but helped, you know, get Carolina back in the game. And it just diving on the floor to me says so much about your approach and that you're willing to, to give up your body and sacrifice everything just for a, a jump ball that might not even go to your, your team. So to me, that, that says a ton. And like defensively, um, you know, people have to realize he's, he's got a wingspan. It's like seven, six. Yes. It's very hard to shoot over someone who's seven, six. So I think right now, um, you know, as far as close to the paint and close to the rim, I think it, it would probably, you know, behoove North Carolina to play him even more because some of that dribble penetration that gets by the guards, he could help clean that up a little more than maybe uh, a couple of the other bigs. Now, the issue is that if he gets put into pick and rolls at the top of the key or, you know, really anywhere, then that can be problematic depending on who it is. So I think you have to weigh those things. But, yeah, I, I do think he's, he's coming along. Uh, you know, the reports we got – in the preseason where that he was further along than he's shown and that missing that time was, was very significant because it was during a lot of installation of the mm -hmm. offense and defensive principles. Um, and then, you know, Tuesday or excuse me, Wednesday is a home game for him. You know, he's from the Atlanta area. So I'm, I'm curious to see if there'll be a little extra motivation. It'll probably be the first time and last time this year, um, most of his family and friends are able to see him play. So we'll, we'll see what happens from there. He's not quite a Clydesdale on roller skates, but I love the question, Sean. I do think Real made a great point. Uh, everything that we've heard is that the stuff he missed uh, while he was out a couple of weeks was was install stuff, and that's that's a lot of the real basics for spacing and and how you fit within the rest of the rotation for UNC. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I love the the hint that you you make by bringing it up is that he keyed so much without even scoring. Um, whether that was running, doing really well on the run and jump or being able to recover when he's in the paint because he has such a massive wingspan. Yeah, definitely. And, and one, one final thing, because we're talking about ins installation, um, it, it brought me to the, the long form article on the 2010 football team. And it was, you know, one, that was a really good article brought back a lot of uh, just, you know, bad, bad memories as that was, was going on. But, you know, one of the things that struck out was, how they were just so far advanced in their ability to prep uh, just because they were returning everybody and they knew what they were doing. And once again, you go back to this team and besides for Brooks and obviously some other guys are really starting over. So, um, you know, and, and we're seeing, they're still trying to figure things out. And unfortunately they, they didn't get those games um, that we would like to, to do that going into ACC play. But I do think with a little more focus there are a lot of things that can be improved upon pretty easily. And I would go back to what we said on this show back in the summer that this team is going to start slowly and if they're going to be good, it's going to be later in the year. And I think that's just, it's just magnified because of, of what happened with this pandemic and loss of games and the season starting when it did, but boys, regardless of what the energy has been on the court, you guys always bring great a energy and you always come strong right out of the gate for the coast to coast podcast. And we appreciate it. Or at least I appreciate it. And I think that our listeners and viewers also appreciate it because if they are, they're giving us great reviews, hint, hint. And if they're not, they're going to let us know that as well. But we appreciate you guys listening. Take some time, review us, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if you're not a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina, you are missing the good stuff. Make sure you take care of that. Special thanks to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring the show. We'll be back with you next week for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran. I'm Joey Powell. Thank you much. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. 
baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.